spins it. Holly Webb scores! Great Risen win goal! Brilliant goal! Rose Lavelle might have won the World Cup! Helen Howes, mate, to take me out! England have done it! Welcome back to 51. In Europe and the UK, 51% of the population are women, but the sports coverage doesn't come close to reflecting that. Whether you're a die-hard sports fan, a passionate feminist, or someone who just stumbled across the podcast, we've got you covered on all the issues in women's sport. We've decided to branch out into other sports to cover more important topics. That's why our name has changed from Football 51 to 51. To open the new chapter, we have a very special interview for you. We're so excited to have the GB hockey player, European and Commonwealth Games medalist and champion of inclusion, Emily DeFrond. You may have seen Emily chatting in lockdown to the likes of Claire Balding, Karen Bardsley and Ellie Simmons in her Copper and Anatta YouTube series. Well, now it's our turn to interview her. This is Emily DeFrond and you are listening to 51. Emily grew up watching her mum play hockey from the sidelines in Havering in East London. She went to a state school, Cooper's Company in Cobbin, just round the corner from the club. She eventually started playing in her mum's team and later, with the London 2012 Olympics on her doorstep, she was inspired to become part of the GB hockey team. And she did just that. She made her international debut in February 2017 and in the same year she won a bronze medal at the European Championships. She went on to win bronze at the Commonwealth Games the year after and is now a star in the Surbiton side that have won the last seven titles in the top women's hockey league. Emily often quotes Nelson Mandela, who said sport has the power to change the world, and that's what she's trying to do. She's an ambassador for just about every hockey inclusivity project, from disability hockey to state school hockey access. You name it, Emily is probably involved. She says... I've always felt that everyone should have an equal opportunity to participate in our sport, no matter your age, your gender, your ethnicity or your ability. Everyone should have that opportunity and at the moment it's not equal. I started off by asking Emily three quickfire questions. First quickfire question, what's your favourite okay. part of hockey training? Are you a skills nerd or a fitness freak? I would say I'm a skills nerd. I never find fitness fun. Uh, any fitness testing or any running session we have to do, that's not a bit of me. So always always hockey related. So I'd go skills nerd, I reckon. Nice. Okay, what new thing have you taken up in lockdown? Lots. Like everyone, I've been trying to fill my time. Um, well, first and foremost, I started my own um, Instagram live, um, which has turned onto a YouTube channel called Cupper and the Matter, um, which has been amazing. It's kept me uh, very busy. I, I speak to a range of different um, female sportswomen or people involved uh, within women's sport, um, from the likes of Claire Baldin, um, Helen and Kate Richardson-Walsh, you know, Karen Bardsley, Ellie Simmons, lots of different people, uh, which has been really cool. So Cupper and Natter has definitely been taking up a lot of my time during lockdown. That's brilliant. We're definitely going to talk more about that later. Okay, last of the quickfire questions. Tell us something that people are always surprised to hear about you. <laughs> um, okay, so I would have to say I'm a big lover of daytime TV and my favourite programme of all time is Loose Women. Um, and whenever I say this to people, they 
think it's either hilarious or they're horrified. But honestly, it's the best TV programme out there. Um, usually I'm having my lunch with a cup of tea and I feel like I'm joining in all of the discussions. And um, yeah, if you haven't watched Loose Women before, I strongly recommend. <laughs> <laughs> amazing, amazing. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Things you wouldn't expect. <laughs> oh no, I love it. Honestly, such a good programme. That's so good. That's so good. Okay, so when you're not watching Loose Women, um, you're playing a lot of hockey, aren't you? Um, I just kind of wanted to touch back on your hockey career. I mean, from playing in a team with your mum at around 10 years old, I think, and then being inspired by London 2012 to, um, you know, the 2017 European Championships bronze medal, Commonwealth Games bronze medal in 2018, league titles with Surbiton, Bucks League and Cup titles with Union of Birmingham. That is absolutely amazing. And I wanted to kind of get a sense from you what memories stand out for you most along the way in that journey. Uh, I mean just you asking that question it makes me think of how many incredible memories I've had on a hockey pitch I feel very fortunate um and I mean just starting off as you mentioned I, I, I first picked up a hockey stick at the age of about six seven um and I actually picked up a hockey stick because I was watching my mum play herself and there's always the story that goes around that I was apparently causing carnage on the sidelines because I'd always pick up everyone's hockey sticks and be running up and down the sidelines whilst the game's going ahead and I guess kind of my love for the sport was evident even from such a young age Um, and I still remember those those Saturdays my my two older brothers and my dad would go and watch West Ham uh, play football and I'd be able to go and watch my mum play hockey. And uh, yeah, and then, I mean, as you said, like I went on from there. I played in the same hockey team as my mum from the age of, yeah, I think it's about 10 till 13 or so. What um, was that like? And it was amazing. Um, it, was, it was at our local hockey club called Haverim and we had a great... It's, it's just a big family club and, you know, I still hold so many, you know, fond memories um, at Havering. And in our team, there was lots of different mums and daughters. So one of my best friends, um, she was playing with her mum in the same team. So it was me and mum, her and her mum. My aunt was playing in the same team. So it's all, it was just a lovely environment to play hockey. Um, and we always joke that it was, the youngsters would do all of the running and the hard work um, to set the ball up for the older mums or aunts and they'd take the glory by scoring the goals. But yeah, that, 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 you know, that early memory of me playing hockey with my mum is honestly still one of the fondest memories um, today. But then you add in, you know, my um, international debut for England versus South Africa in Um, February 2017 my GB debut in Argentina a few months uh, later and then all of the medals along the way I mean looking back I just feel really fortunate to be in the position that I am right now and having had so many wonderful memories along the way. Which of those medals and titles do you kind of remember as the most special for you? Yeah It's, it's, it's hard because you know I look back my, my European um, Championship bronze medal in 2017, um, that was just, well, that was my first European Championships, um, Senior European Championships. And it was kind of the first big tournament post um, the, obviously, Rio, uh, when the girls won um, Olympic gold. And it was, 
there was a lot of hype around the tournament. The tournament was being played in Holland. Um, and I'd played in Holland numerous times throughout my junior career. Um, but honestly, that tournament was just on a different level. And um, I remember the, the semi-final match versus Holland, which we lost really narrowly, 1-0. Um, and if I was to knuckle down on one game alone, that would be one of the best games that I've played in because, you know, the crowds were just electric. It was a, a night game, so all the lights were going off, all of the... Um, all of the lights in the crowd and it was just an incredible atmosphere um, so in terms of picking one match it would be at the European Championships versus um, Holland in the semi-final but the Commonwealth Games in 2018 in the Gold Coast um, for me was one of my highlights for sure because you know it's my first multi-sport event um, and the Commonwealth Games, the Olympic Games, I grew up watching them. Uh, you watch them on the TV. I don't, I'm sure you're the same as a sports lover yourself and a hockey player yourself. You watch it and you, you kind of schedule out for two weeks you're going to be in front of a TV screen watching every sport under the yeah. sun. Uh, at the, and, and, and to be able to you know, participate myself at the Commonwealth Games and then obviously come away with a, a bronze medal as well. That was a really special time. Moving on to more, more recently, obviously you kind of last year had a four months, I think, recovering from concussion and then you've got a global pandemic just before your first Olympic cycle and then I think a fluke knee injury and GB training right before those international, first international matches since February 2020 and obviously Premier Division, so for those who don't know, the top England um, hockey league has been suspended during lockdowns and lots of international matches have, have been postponed as well. So, I mean, it seems like it's all kind of not gone wrong, but, you know, it must be really, really tough for you. So I just wanted to know how much training and match play you've actually been able to do and also how, how have you coped with that? Yeah, I mean, I do th- I'm not going to lie, I do think about this on a daily basis right now. So as you said, probably the last 18 months or so has been a bit of a whirlwind roller coaster for me. So um, obviously, as you touched upon in October um, of 2019, no, yeah, 2019, um, I sustained a serious concussion, which kept me out of the game for four months. And then obviously the global pandemic hit. And then hockey returned after the global pandemic, obviously very, very gradually. Um, and I managed to play one match for Serbton, the opening game of the um, Investec Premier League. Um, and and I'd carried on in terms of the GB hockey training, in terms of our return to training after the uh, first lockdown. And uh, yeah, I picked up a, another fluke injury, um, got smashed on the knee in training at, um, at Bisham Abbey where we train. And that kept me out for a, a period of time and obviously missed the the pro league games which were in October of last year so it's kind of been one of those where it's been crazy if you think about it but it's one of those where I still feel very lucky to be in the position that I am the the last year or so for everyone has been difficult it's been hard um but you've just got to adapt as best you can I guess and um you know injuries for us as elite sports men and women, but also, you know, in everyone that plays sport, injuries are part and parcel of it all. And, um, you know, sometimes 
that that they just happen and you can't do anything about it and you've just got to again adapt and get over it as best you can um which I've tried to do um in the many injuries that I've picked up over my hockey career but um yeah with the pandemic thrown in um in the middle of that obviously that's quite hard and and for us as a GB squad we were training to Tokyo 2020 the summer of 2020 our four-year cycle was based on that um but you know the fact that we're having to um adapt our our schedule and our our goals for one extra year I think that's the least we can do and actually gives us that extra time both individually and collectively to you know keep improving and hopefully put ourselves in an even better place one year on uh for Tokyo this summer what a lot of people will have been able to see from your social media and everything during pandemic and these injuries is you've been able to draw some positives. So like you said, Copper and Anata, you set it up, you know, interviewing incredible sportswomen, Karen Bardsley, you know, Sue Smith, Dame Tanny Gray Thompson, all these incredible uh, female athletes, especially kind of highlighting that, you know, female excellence and how these people have been massive trailblazers. And I kind of wanted to know from you, having spoken to so many amazing women in sport, what you've learned from that? Has there been a kind of overriding message from all of them or from that experience? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a brilliant question because it's really interesting. I've, I've kept with, I've done three series and uh, all of my guests have been women. And it was, it was, it was one of those where I kind of started it um in the first lockdown when there was a lot of noise around whether um women's sport will be lost within the global pandemic and the coverage the investment uh, the attention around women's sport will all be lost um and i i kind of said of course it's not going to be you know that the women's sport is huge it's a huge opportunity right now to use this time to really celebrate all that is amazing about women's sport and I kind of did that with Kappa and Nata. And with, with my guests, I tried to make sure that I got a diverse range of athletes from lots of different sports, whether that be team sports, individual sports, um, and, and a, ra- a range of different backgrounds. And, and obviously, they're all very, very successful in their own careers. But kind of what I got from each individual is something completely unique. Everyone had their own you know, unique story behind them, you think about, you know, the best sportswomen in the world, not just in our country, in the world. And it's never plain sailing, you know, it's never a straightforward line to the top. And actually through Cupper and Natter, it really made me, you know, realise that, as you touched upon earlier, in terms of my own injuries that I've had over the last couple of years, and obviously all of us, what we've gone through in terms of the pandemic, it's no different for the people such as, you know, Tanny Gray-Thompson and Dame Catherine Granger. They've all been there and done that themselves. But it's kind of, you know, how they've shown their own resilience and determination to come out of those tougher periods that has kind of led them in good stead, I say, um, and getting to the top of their sport. It's been fascinating. Obviously, you tried, you focused on women in that, in that series. And I know you do, you know, masses of work in terms of inclusion and... And, and that kind of thing, representation. And hockey has traditionally a reputation of being, you know, a sport that's posh, that's exclusive, that's played by white people from private schools and things like that. And I think currently in the GB squad, there's one 
black male player, Reese Smith, and then there's Darcy born in the under 21s. And many players come from private schools. I know hockey obviously reports has a 50-50 gender split in participation and mm-hmm. all, all major tournaments run concurrently, men and women. But there's also problems with, you know, um, few female senior coaches in the England setup and in Europe in the top level as well. I think 90% of coaches are male and 10% are female. So there are still issues that are out there and we'll come on to the work you're amazing what you're doing to improve it in a minute but I just want to know what you feel when you hear those things and what you feel about where we are at now absolutely yeah I think um well the facts are the facts aren't they I think our sport unfortunately does reflect um a lot of different issues um that are the same across lots of different sports and within our society and actually the events of last year, um, and obviously, especially from uh, the the death of George Floyd, um, amongst other things, I think it really heightened the um, uh, well the inequalities within society. And for us um, as GB hockey players, it kind of, well I'm speaking for myself. It really opened my eyes to the inequalities in the society that I live in. The you know, the, the people that I surround myself with in terms of GB hockey. And, you know, I, I wanted to do everything that I could in my, in my power to, you know, educate myself, to, um, you know, learn more about these inequalities and just be able to try and do a little bit more than what I was doing because, you know, myself, everyone else, it was just not enough. And unfortunately, it took such a horrendous situation like what happened to George Floyd, to open up the world's eyes to the inequalities that need to be changed within our society. Um, and hopefully, you know, moving forwards, the world that we live in will be a far, um, far better place because of it. Yeah, definitely. And just touching on the death of George Floyd there, because I know that England Hockey joined the Stick It to Racism campaign after that. And, and I just wanted to know how you guys came around to the idea of joining the campaign and what you're what you're doing as part of it yeah sure so it's it's something that I'm very passionate about actually because um it was something that us as a uh, women's playing squad um we we discussed um over a, you know a long period of time um over that first lockdown in that we wanted to do something um to to not only make ourselves accountable but also to you know improve um the situation within our sport uh there's no place for racism within hockey there's no place in racism within any sport anything in society um and for us as a squad we um we we obviously all all came together to come up with the stick it to racism campaign um now this is something that we hope will not only be based in both the men's and the women's squads, but actually will have a wider impact within the hockey family and that everyone that picks up a hockey stick can kind of um, feel attached to and feel proud to be um, associated with. And the campaign kind of, um, it, it is an outward show of support um, in terms of us saying that there's simply no room for racism within our sport, but also for us to take accountability individually and collectively as a squad. So for instance, um, the women's squad right now, we're, we're having regular 
kind of workshops um, with um, individuals that can help us to better understand inclusivity and diversity as kind of a topic. So um, before Christmas, we were really thrilled to have a, have a discussion with Rosie Sykes, who was the first black woman to represent England um, in hockey, which was incredible. Um, we ha we've had a um, discussion with Riz um, Raymond, who works at the FA. Um, also earlier today, actually, we, we spoke with Maggie Alfonsi, um, rugby legend, um, who's doing fantastic work within inclusion and diversity within her sport of rugby. So we're kind of really taking on, um, you know, a hands-on approach to it all um, as a squad and hopefully, you know, Stick It to Racism can become you know, the, the, the campaign at the front of it, but hopefully we'll see the behavioural changes and the, and the, I guess the, you know, education aspect around it as well. That sounds brilliant. And I've also seen a few people saying that the lack of black people in the, you know, the higher levels of England hockey is sometimes to do with the lack of state school access to hockey obviously it's not exactly the same you're obviously not going to get all black people in lower socioeconomic backgrounds but they've seen it as a trend and I know that you obviously went to a state school and you've done a lot of work like with the Spencer Links hockey and the East London project and things like that and I wanted to know whether you think that's that's a really big thing why you think it's such an important issue and also kind of what work you've done and, and where you see it going. Yeah, sure. I, I think, um, well, you said it um, earlier on in terms of if you think of hockey, you do think of, you know, white, middle class, upper class um, individuals playing our sport. And um, it's, another, it's another thing for me. I, I love the sport. And I honestly, I've got so much from playing um, hockey over the years and so many positives through playing the sport and I just think you know everyone should have an equal opportunity to have exactly the same um, experience that I've had. Um, now I feel really lucky in the fact that I started playing hockey through obviously my mum's involvement in the sport at our local hockey club but when I went to um, my secondary school which was a state school um, at, our, at our school hockey was part of the curriculum. Um, now our, our state school, it, it, it was, I mean, we had a PE teacher who hadn't necessarily had too much hockey experience herself, but was enthusiastic. She chucked herself into it. Um, her passion kind of had a knock-on effect to all of the students. So we had a really positive experience when it comes to school hockey. Um, state schools may be 200 metres down the road from ours didn't have the same opportunities in terms of hockey being on the curriculum or the same enthusiasm shown from their PE teachers, which, you know, doesn't quite sit right for me. And I think, you know, where we have so many fantastic um, public private schools in the country that offer fantastic opportunities um, in hockey for their pupils, I think um, it's kind of now's the time to really heighten the fantastic work that these private schools are doing and seeing how can we kind of learn from this and use our, you know, club school link a little bit better in terms of clubs, local clubs joining with their local state schools um, and having that better link in place so that, you know, no matter what school you go to, it shouldn't matter whether you go to a state school like mine or a state school like the one down the road or, you know, one of the better private schools in the country, 
every child should have the opportunity to pick up a stick. Now, don't get me wrong. I completely appreciate that, you know, that's not easy. That You can't just click your fingers and, you know, every school has an AstroTurf that, that can offer, um, that, that they can offer the equipment that for their children to, to play hockey in the start. So it's, it's a really tricky situation, but I, I, in my work through, you know, the East London project, obviously being from East London myself, it was something I was really, really passionate about in the build up to the World Cup in 2018. But also more recently in joining um, Spent for Links as one of their ambassadors, they, they do fantastic work in terms of offering inner city um, school children the opportunity to play, to play hockey. And, and for me, I have huge aspirations to continue my work in this and make sure that every child in the country, should they wish, I'd hope they wished, <laughs> that they have the opportunity to play hockey. Yeah, definitely. And you're also an ambassador for Flyers as well, the disability hockey programme. And I saw you posted a video of what's the time Mr. Wolf uh, challenge for the, for the Flyers participants a couple of days ago. So can you tell us a bit more about Flyers, like what you do for them? And I wondered if you have any memories of, you know, Flyers participants that you've helped that have really appreciated it or things like that, because I think there's some amazing personal stories that come out of this programme. Yeah, I mean, honestly, Flyers, in my opinion, is one of the shining lights of our sport. Um, so along with um, England Hockey um, and Access Sport, um, they set up, obviously, Flyers to offer um, individuals the opportunity to play. So whether that be uh, any ability, whether that's disability, learning disability, educational disability, um, and whatever your age every member of the family can get involved it's just a fantastic way to show that there is no barrier to our sport and through my involvement I've been involved in flyers um, as an ambassador for the last year or so but um, I've been in awe of their work for many a years now and um, just a fantastic work they do in terms of as I said offering the opportunity to all of these you know, people, into, it's not just children either, it's, you know, adults as well that can get involved in flyers um, and their passion for the sport and their happiness that, you know, picking up a hockey stick and playing with their family and friends brings to them, you know, it, it, it shows that, you know, it could be the highlight of their week, but it's just so powerful and really highlights the power of sport. And again, as I said, with the, with the school aspect, it, it highlights that, you know, everyone should have the opportunity to play our sport, um, no matter what your, you know, what, what your school or what your ability or disability is. And, you know, Flyers, as I said, is just wonderful at doing exactly that. You mentioned before, you know, just going back to female participation as well, um, is really important to you and kind of, you know, making women's sport visible as well, because, you know, there are lots of, there's a big dropout rate, isn't there, of, of young teenage girls who, who drop out of sport and so I know you signed up to the Unlocked campaign to grow the visibility of women's sport and I hear you applied while you had concussion so I want to find out more about that um, and also did you have to kind of make an make an aim for what you wanted to achieve is there something specific in that that you wanted to to get out of it? Yeah I mean I've said it I've said it numerous times over the last few months, but honestly, the Women's Sports Trust Unlock Program was one of the best experiences I've ever been involved in. Um, it obviously was timed 
kind of to perfection, kind of not, if you are asking them, because it was planned to start officially at the beginning of the year, just as the pandemic hit. So actually the, the reality of the programme looked completely different to what was initially planned from the Women's Sports Trust point of view. But actually, I'm not going to lie, it's probably the only thing keeping me sane throughout that first lockdown um, last year. And uh, yeah, so it was, it was incredible. It's 41 athletes from um, a range of different sports um, that were paired with 41 activators. Now, as you said, the activators were from a range of different industries, um, not necessarily all involved within sport either, um, but a range of different industries. And I was really fortunate enough to be um, paired with Jackie Oatley, um, the absolute legend that is Jackie Oatley, um, football darts broadcaster extraordinaire. And um, as an aspiring journalist and broadcaster myself, it was an absolute honour to be able to learn from Jackie throughout that period of time. And 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 she was so generous with her time and advice and everything throughout that um, that really made the experience so special for me. Um, but it was also the 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 camaraderie within the uh, the forty one athletes as well. We we had our own WhatsApp group. You had you know athletes from athletics, hockey, football. Um, you know, literally every sport under the sun. Um, everyone kind of had their own little um, agendas in terms of what they wanted to get out of the programme. Um, now, one of my main things is in terms of, you know, really helping to increase the coverage of women's sport. And as you said about the importance of role models, um, thinking back to my childhood, say, and, and in my younger years, I'd turn on the TV and, there just wasn't that many um, female sportswomen on my TV in the newspapers as there is right now. Um, and, you know, one of the main things that when I think about what really inspired me to want to be a Great Britain hockey player was being able to go to the London 2012 Olympic Games and watch the GB women's hockey team win Olympic gold. Now, I was really lucky because the Olympic Games happened 20 minutes down the road from me. So I had the opportunity to see in person, you know, my, my, my heroes at that time and, and the role models that were doing so much for our sport in terms of getting more coverage, you know, showing the success on the world stage. And I think in terms of what needs to be done to make women's sport bigger and better than ever before, you need to be able to see, see it because I've said it before, you can't see what you can't, uh, you can't be what you can't see. Um, so one of the main things that I wanted to get out of the, the Unlock programme was that amongst lots of different other things that um, I've been really lucky to be involved in uh, since joining. But honestly, it was just a phenomenal experience and one that I'm so grateful to have been involved with in. Talking about kind of media coverage, maybe let's look at hockey specifically. So kind of the, the media coverage of hockey and the spectators it gets and things like that, because I just want to get a sense from you specifically about top level hockey like where it where it's at and what positives there are but where it still needs to go because I think a lot of people when they look at women's football as the blueprint for women's sport women's football is so far ahead in so many aspects and it's different isn't it so it for people who don't know GB hockey has 30 centralized players for each men's and women's side who are professional athletes whose job it is to play Mm. hockey like like yourself and then in the top division some of the players aren't paid to play. I think that's, I think that's correct. 
in terms of media coverage, so international games are shown on BT Sport and there's the new Watch Hockey app, which I'm, I'm loving, um, where you can watch more, <laughs> more and more games. Um, but often domestic coverage, the camera is at one end of the pitch and you actually can't see the goal because it's so yeah. far away. So it's kind of tricky. And then for so people have a sense of kind of spectators. Obviously, international games that we had an amazing game at Twickenham Stoop in 2019 with over 11,000 people watching but kind of top league games I'm not sure about Surbiton only but certainly at Hampton and Westminster where I was kind of we have a maximum 100 spectators Mm. sometimes less and and that's obviously you know for the for the top league Um, and then in terms of sponsorship England women have just got a sponsorship deal with Vitality which I think is amazing for you guys Um, I think the men are still looking for sponsors so obviously some real positives there but some things to work on so I kind of wanted to get a sense from you as a player who's in it you know living it breathing it how does it feel what what are the positives and what do you kind of really want to see in the near future yeah I mean you've hit the nail on the head in terms of I think hockey as a sport still has a bit of a way to go um you obviously touched upon uh the women's football um recently I mean it's fantastic. I'm a I'm a big football fan, um, similar to yourself. And is a West Ham great to that. Well, if my dad's asking me, I'm a West Ham fan, but I'm actually a Liverpool fan. Um, I've gone against the the front um, supporters um, that support West Ham. Yeah, but I saw sense. Um, but yeah, like it's amazing to see so many games on um, on the TV online for the WSL since um, the start of this season. And obviously the netball have recently, I think it was yesterday, they announced that they've come um, come in partnership with Sky Sports to um, show all of their Super League games, domestic Super League games. And, you know, it, it's one of those where, you know, the more women's sport we can get on the TV is 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 what we're all about isn't it but actually for hockey i think as you touched upon you know our our pro league games which are our international games um they're they're always shown on bt sport and and both the men and the women receive equal coverage in that but in terms of our domestic league i think we've still got a way to go with that um there's a fantastic galvanized hockey stream that show the highlights of the men's and women's premier leagues um, every week, um, which, which is good. But in terms of the quality of footage, if you compare it to a BT sports stream, for example, is, you know, still a little bit off. And, you know, we should be aspiring to having our, our domestic games um, on, on the TV for, for everyone to enjoy and watch every single week. That should be our aspirations, 100%. And, um, you know, I think you can take positives from the likes of how well the, the football and the, the netball have been taken and hopefully in years to come hockey will be up there and receiving the same coverage in terms of TV. Um, yeah the investment side of things obviously we're, we're thrilled as a women's squad to have vitality on board um, particularly through you know already the existing um partnerships that Vitality have with the likes of netball and football uh, makes it even more special because it really highlights that they're doing a fantastic thing for women's sport right now and actually I think they'll help grow our game and make it um, hopefully more accessible to 
to lots of different people in terms of throughout the grassroots level of our sport as well. So I think having invest, investment from the likes of Vitality um, will only be only be a positive thing. Um, obviously, the men's squad at the moment don't have a title sponsor, but um, from what I hear, there's positive um, talks going on with that at the moment. So fingers crossed, um, we'll have another investment and financial backing of our sport um sports soon um and yeah in ter- and, and uh, i guess as you touched upon with the spectators as well we've we've shown that through a couple of events you know as you touched upon the twickenham stoop match um where eleven thousand supporters um packed out the the stoop and then obviously the hockey world cup in 2018 which we hosted at lee valley hockey and uh, hockey tennis center um I think it shows that there is the there is the desire to watch international hockey on home soil, um, and it's just I guess speaking as a player, we love to play in front of packed stadiums, and it's, it's one of those where how can us as a sport make it accessible in terms of um, where where the games are being played, how much the tickets cost. There, there's so many different factors that need to be. Um, taken it into account but you know if we can get that sort of number for our international games I'd love to see that sort of number for games such as you know Hampstead and Westminster versus Surbiton in the London Derby in the um, in the Women's Premier League and you know I I think would be silly if we didn't aspire and and aim for those sort of heights um, in the years to come and speaking as a player I'd love to see that. And talking about aspirations, I wanted to end by kind of looking forward to the to the future or the rest of 2021. I wanted to know what your aim is or something you really want to achieve in terms of inclusivity and also on the hockey mm. bit. I don't know whether this is a bit of a broad answer, but in terms of the inclusivity aspect, I just want I just want to get to a point where everyone has the same equal opportunity to play hockey. Um, and I hope that through celebrating initiatives such as Flyers and the East London Project, Spencer Links, um, and, and, and those sort of programmes already involved and, and set up in our sport, I hope that it highlights that, you know, anyone can pick up our, 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 our hockey sticks and, and get involved, no matter what age you are, gender, background, race, ethnicity... Um, it's a sport for all and I really I really hope we get to that stage where we create a community our hockey family that is inclusive for all um so yeah I don't know whether that's a bit of a broad answer but that's that's the goal in terms of um inclusivity and on the hockey pitch myself obviously uh the Olympic Games this summer is the pinnacle of our sport we've been training for it um for for four years now um you know every player wants to be uh, on that pitch in Tokyo um and we just have to do everything that we can do in terms of individually um but also collectively as a squad right now to put in the hard yards do all the hard work and uh yeah hopefully when when the games go ahead this summer uh team GB women's hockey side will be ready and fingers crossed I'll be there Thank you so much to GB hockey star Emily DeFron for that interview. We hope you enjoyed it. 
We'll be going on a deep dive into some of those inclusivity projects in our upcoming episodes. And that includes hearing from the woman who set up the Flyers Disability Hockey Programme. So keep your eyes peeled. You can listen to all the past episodes of 51, featuring interviews with West Ham, Spurs, Lewis and former Barcelona players on Spotify, Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts. Just type in 51 and my name, Sophie Penny. Please do get in touch on Twitter and Instagram at 51 underscore pod. We really want to hear your feedback and if there's any other topics you want us to explore. See you next time.